You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Today I wanted to ask you, uh, what is your favorite Christmas song? What is your favorite Christmas song? On the count of three... Name out or call out your favorite Christmas song. One, two, three. Have you ever noticed how Christmas songs sometimes just get stuck in your brain? I mean, they just kind of replay. I mean, like I hear Feliz Navidad and, and I'm just, it'll just be stuck in my brain the whole day. And while I'm driving my kids to school, I'll just start singing that song. And they're like, Dad, shut up, please. <laughs> but, but sometimes these Christmas songs, they just kind of get stuck there. As Monica mentioned, we've been in a series called Slow Down and Worship. And during this season, so it's so hard to slow down because we've got Christmas parties and Christmas recitals and we've got decorations and, and some of us are preparing to go on a trip and, and some of us are preparing for people to come to our house and we've got Christmas presents to buy and, and we've got ugly sweaters to make sure that we're wearing and, and we have this endless list and And even this morning, I mean, it was just kind of crazy at my house. I mean, last night I didn't sleep very well. These allergies, I mean, just I kept on waking up multiple times. And and then I took my shower and got my Christmas sweater on. And and I realized my wife most likely had put my jeans in the dryer. And and so I'm walking in the dark to the dryer. And I know that's such a great image for you to imagine me walking with my sweater and uh, without jeans there. I, I know, you're just, you're just imagining me in all my glory right now, and, and so that's not the worst part. I go to open up the dryer lid, and bleach falls, and it just splatters everywhere. Hopefully it didn't get too much on the sweater, but it was all over me. It was on the floor and everything else, and I didn't feel very spiritual at that moment. And let, let me just say this. I woke Julie up and she wasn't happy about that. But but bleach is everywhere. And I was just like, oh, I was wound up so tight. And then about 15 minutes later, I'm going over this sermon today talking about slow down and worship. And I'm like, God, come on, give me a break. <laughs> and I tell you that because I know some of you are in the same boat. Like you are going 100 miles an hour. And I just want to encourage you to to hit the pause button and to remember what this season's all about, that sometimes we can get caught up into running and and doing all of these things, but we truly want to take a deep breath and we just want to focus on Emmanuel, God with us. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Mary's song, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. And in our city, have you noticed how Mary is praised and worshipped quite a bit? There's all these different titles that people have for Mary. Blessed Mother, Madonna, Our Lady, Star of the Sea, Queen of Heaven, Queen of Saints, Cause of Our Joy, Mother of Mercy, Our Lady of the Guadalupe. There's endless titles that people have for Mary. The thing is, in Scripture, we don't really see her being praised this often. The the closest thing that we see is Elizabeth, Mary's relative. She praises her in Luke chapter 1, verses 42 to 44. 
But her praise is based on the blessing of what's in her womb, Jesus Christ. She's not praising Mary, but she's praising Jesus being in her womb. Now, some would say that Mary is sinless, that, that she didn't sin, that if, if uh, Jesus Christ is sinless, by giving birth to Jesus Christ, if she was a sinner, that Jesus would be stained by her sin. And so some would say that Mary is sinless, but it says for everyone is what, has what? It doesn't say for everyone except for Mary, right? It says everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So even Mary has sinned, even though some people would say that she's sinless. Some would say that Mary is a mediator of sorts between us and God. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 5 says, For there is one God and there is what? One mediator between God and man and the man Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus is that mediator who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is a testimony given at the proper time. As some would say that Mary is a co-redeemer. Uh, for, and, and we know that 1 Peter 1 says this, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious what? Blood of Christ. It wasn't Mary's blood. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose Him as your ransom long before the world began. And now in these days, in the last days, He has been revealed for your sake. Now, now, saying this, sometimes I feel this tension because on one side, people praise Mary so much and they talk about how wonderful she is. But on the other side, we probably don't give Mary enough respect and credit. We're afraid that we might be too much like our, our Catholic brothers and sisters. And, and let me just say this. I love our Catholic brothers and sisters. My wife was raised in a Catholic family. I have many Catholic friends. And why I would say they probably lift Mary up too high, they'd probably say, well, you don't lift Mary up high enough. And, and they're probably right in some ways. Because when I look at Mary, there's no doubt that God worked in her life in an amazing way. I don't know anyone else that has had a virgin birth except for Mary. I don't know anyone else that has had God inside of them. Now, in Luke chapter 1, Mary is said to be a righteous woman uh, or, and favored or graced by God, blessed. That God praises her in this way. That means that she was a good woman. She wasn't perfect. She was still a sinner. But God showed her grace and gave her something that she didn't deserve. She didn't deserve to give birth to Christ. But God ended up using her to do an amazing thing. As you look at Mary's life, though, you don't really see Mary mentioned that much in Scripture. There's only a few places, and you'll see this come up on screen, that, that she's mentioned. Luke chapter 2, Mary cherishes the words of Simeon and Anna about Jesus. Mary and Joseph lose Jesus after the Passover feast. Now, now I want to stop on this one. I mean, how do you explain to God that you lost his son? I mean... God, hey, I, I lost your son. Hey, that's a pretty big deal. Eventually, they find him in the temple. And Mary, this is my translation, says to Jesus, what were you thinking, Jesus? I mean, what were you thinking? 
And she was upset. Now, that's encouragement for me because she had the perfect child and I have imperfect children. And so I have the right to get upset, right? So anyway, John chapter two, uh, we see the wedding feast where she's mentioned where she actually asked Jesus to perform his first miracle of turning wine to water. Mark chapter three, there's a family dinner uh, and Jesus Uh, People are interrupting the family dinner. She's there, and Jesus eventually turns to the crowd and says, all of you are my family, not just my biological family, but all of you, you you who have come, you are are my disciples. John chapter 19, Mary was present at the cross, and Jesus asked John to take care of her. In Acts chapter 1, Mary was with the apostles on the day of Pentecost. But after that, nothing else is mentioned. There's really not that much about Mary in the Bible. But as I studied Mary, I thought, you know, if I was Mary, I'd be pretty prideful. If I was Mary, I'd be like, look at me. I mean, I was chosen by God to give birth to Jesus, the great Messiah. Look at me. My son is the reason for the season. Look at me. I truly have a perfect child. I know you think you may have a perfect child, but look at the child that I have. I raised the perfect child. Look at me. My son saved the world. Does anyone here deal with pride this morning? Does anyone know anyone that deals with pride? We probably have some people that come into our mind, and we we probably don't want to. We get a little uncomfortable when we think about pride that we might have. You know anyone that deals with pride's close cousin, arrogance? Does anybody like to be in the spotlight? Look what I've done. Look at my kids. Look at my car. Look at the cool vacation that I took. Look at the cool places I went. Look at the presents that I bought for my family members or the cool presents that I got. Look at the cool promotion that I got. Pride causes us to find fault in others and ignore our own sin. Pride causes us to think we're always right and to become defensive when someone challenges us. Max Lucado says, pride seeks to defend and advance self in every way possible. Pride says, life is about me. The flight schedule, the traffic, the dress styles, the worship styles, the church, the weather, the work, everything is filtered through what I like and desire. This reminds me of a a story. A minister received a Christmas card uh, from a lady in his congregation. And he he said she was very complimentary of, of his preaching and compared him to the great Billy Graham. And she finished by by writing this, I I think you're one of the great preachers of all time. Well, this made him feel really good. So later that day, he he showed the card to his wife. She said, well, who is this woman? He replied, well, she's a very intelligent woman in the congregation, and, and she loves great preaching. He then asked his wife, honey, how many great preachers do you suppose there really are in the world? She paused. She said, one less than what you think. (laughs) 
Randy Garris says, absence of humility ruins everything. Absence of humility ruins everything. How many times has pride started or continued an argument that, that we just didn't want to give in? It, it ruins and strains relationships. It keeps us from admitting we're wrong. It keeps us from asking for forgiveness and forgiving ourselves and others. Proverbs 3.34 says this, the Lord opposes the what? Proud and gives grace to the... Let me have you personalize that scripture a little bit. The Lord opposes you fill in your name when you're proud and gives grace to your name when you're humble. The, the Lord opposes Ronnie when he's proud, but gives grace to Ronnie when he's humble. Think about that. God opposes me when I have pride in my life, but he gives grace to me when I'm humble. James 4.10 says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will what? Lift you up in honor. Notice in the Bible how God uses people who are humble. Simple fishermen became apostles. And Paul was a broken man after seeing the bright light. And God used his humble state and used him to start many churches around the world and became his great church leader. And Peter was a fisherman. And he became humbled after denying Christ three times. But God used him to preach at Pentecost where 3,000 people came to know Christ and were baptized. Used him as a church leader. The simple shepherds came to, to visit Jesus at his birth. And Jesus' earthly parents were from a little town called Nazareth, around eight, ten acres of land. Maybe 300 people lived there. Google Maps would have a hard time finding it. Joseph and Mary were poor, and they, they couldn't afford a lamb to sacrifice at the temple. They had to buy only, they had to buy two birds instead. Joseph and Mary didn't have a fancy resume. Joseph was a carpenter, Mary most likely a teenager, engaged to be married. And as I mentioned before, Mary is greatly praised in our society, but I find it ironic because Mary didn't see herself as one to be praised. Look, look with me in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at the song that, that she had. It says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his what? Lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I, I want to stop right there. And she sees herself as a lowly servant girl, a servant who has a master. That when the master calls out a command, she steps up and obeys. She anticipates what the master would have. We see this, this young woman who's receptive to her master. I'm not sure that this was in her plan. She was engaged. She was probably planning a wedding. And all of a sudden, God turned her life upside down. But she was humble and she said, God, whatever you want, I'm going to do. And so she ended up carrying the Messiah. Continue on, it says, for the mighty one is holy. 
He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the what? The proud, there's our word, and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the what? Humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he has made his promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Notice in this song, he is used eight times in his four times. This song is not about Mary. It's about Jesus. We'll see throughout this song that she quotes scripture. She part, quotes part of Hannah's song that's found in, in 1 Samuel. She knows that she quotes several of the Psalms. Then we see phrases from 1 and 2 Samuel and Isaiah and Job. But the whole emphasis of this song is not about her. It's about the Messiah and about God. He's the mighty one. He is holy. He's done great things. He has filled the hungry. She understood that life wasn't about her. The spotlight was to be on Jesus Christ. Isn't that hard sometimes? We like to feel important. We like people to know who we are. And and granted, we need encouragement from time to time. We need people to, to remind us that we're made in the image of God. But sometimes we just like to to be in the spotlight. We, we like everyone to know who we are. It reminds me of an article that I read in the national, or off the National Geographic uh, website. They were talking about the puffer fish. Uh, the puffer fish or the blowfish, can, uh, they can blow themselves up to several times their normal size. And they're they're clumsy swimmers, but they have this stomach that's elastic, and so they'll end up taking air and water, and they'll just blow themselves up. And these fish, they they may look cute at times, but most pufferfish contain a toxic substance that makes makes them foul-tasting and potentially deadly to other fish. It contains a toxin that's about 1,200 times more deadly than cyanide. There's enough poison in one pufferfish to kill 30 humans. You know, like the pufferfish, human beings can blow themselves up with pride and arrogance and make themselves look bigger than they are. And this pride can become toxic to our marriage, to the church, to our friendships, to our co-workers. And pride can affect every aspect of our life. I I love what John Stott said. He said, pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your what? Yeah. Pride is your greatest enemy and humility is your greatest friend. I I think all of us in this room, we probably battle pride in one degree or the other. And, And I know some of you are saying, well, I get it. We shouldn't have pride and we, we need to be humble, but, but how do I overcome pride? I just want to give you four practical things. I, I'm going to call it the, the seven-day challenge. I, I'm going to encourage you to do this this week. First of all, be aware. Count how many times you say I, my, mine each day. 
Count how many times you demand your own way. Be aware that you may have pride in your life. Secondly, give people permission to point out pride in your life. You're becoming aware, but then ask your spouse, your kids, your friends to say, hey, do I have any blind spots when it comes to pride? Would you show that to me? That's very humbling right there when you go to someone and say, hey, I may be struggling with this. Would you show me? Third thing that I'm going to ask that you do is pray for humility. How many times do we ever pray for humility? We pray, Lord, help me get well. Give me wisdom. Give me guidance. Give me peace. But when's the last time that we prayed for humility? Lord, help me be humble. Help me realize that life is not about me, but it's about you. Help me point people to you. When you walk into a bookstore and you see tons of books about self-help and how to become better and better and better, but how many books do you ever see about humility? What if as a church we said, you know what, I'm going to pray for humility. I, I want to be a servant. I, I want to have a servant's heart like Mary. I, I want to be obedient to the master. And then lastly, I'm going to ask that you meditate on Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 4 each day. Don't be what? Ouch. I, I wish I could rephrase that part. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But be what? Humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own interest but take an interest in others too. I'm going to ask again that you, you do these four things. Be aware. Give permission to others to point out pride in your life. Pray for humility and meditate on Philippians chapter 2. If your life was a song, what would it be? Would it be one of pride or one of humility? During this season, I hope you'll take a moment to slow down, for us to take our eyes off of ourselves and to point it on to Christ. To take our spotlight off of ourselves and to focus only on Him and to focus on others. I struggle with pride. My guess is that many of you struggle with pride. But I think Mary's song points out something. Life is bigger than us. It's all about the Messiah and it's about Jesus coming to this earth and being a light 